Welcome to today's episode of Wild Wednesdays Questions and Answers. I'm Danelle and I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Now last week we spoke about um, Jehovah's Witnesses and what they believe. And I said we're going to continue the discussion today. We're going to look into what is the key to witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness. Um, just to briefly summarize um, what we spoke about last week, if you are um, just tuning in, Jehovah's Witnesses say they are the only true Christians, but they are neither Protestant nor Catholic. The fundamental doctrinal issue that distinguishes them from Orthodox Christianity is the Trinity. They say the doctrine of the Trinity is a pagan teaching, but they misrepresent it, saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit must be three gods. They actually agree with the Trinity doctrine when it says that the Father and the Son are two persons, but they imagine they need to prove this to the Trinitarians. They fail to grasp how the three persons compromise the one being of God, and so they come up with the idea of a big God and a little God. Two gods. They say Jesus was created, which is Arianism, that he was Michael the archangel, and that Jesus' body was not resurrected. It simply disappeared and he rose as a spirit creature. They say the Holy Spirit is not a person but is Jehovah's active force of energy. Because they say that Jesus is a demigod, their understanding of salvation and atonement is wrong. They say Jesus, who was a perfect man, died only to atone for the sin of Adam, and that when we die, our death pays the penalty of our own sin. Only some 10,000 Jehovah's Witnesses today can possibly claim to be born again and have a heavenly, heavenly hope. The rest say they don't want to go to heaven to be with the Lord, but they want to live forever on a paradise earth. Restorationism. They believe if they remain faithful and obedient till the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, they will earn the right to be declared righteous. And that's why they have to keep on striving with no assurance of salvation. Only today's remnant of the 144,000 can say that they are in the new covenant and that Jesus Christ is their mediator. All must be obedient to the leaders, which are the Watchtower Society and its governing body, if they wish to survive Armageddon. To disagree with what the governing body says is to disagree with Jehovah, because he uses them as his sole channel of communication to dispense the truth. Only they saw with spiritual eyes of discernment that Jesus Christ started to rule from heaven in 1914. An invisible second presence. Also, they say Christ Jesus will never return to earth but will remain in heaven, there to rule with the 144,000 over the earth. With all these unbiblical beliefs, where does one begin to witness to a Jehovah's Witness? There is only one place to begin with the person of Jesus Christ, whose deity is the foundation of Christianity. Jehovah's Witnesses are unable to grasp the significance of Jesus' death and why they must be born again in order to have their sins forgiven. Before they can put all their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, 
They have to understand they are not saved, which means they are presently lost in their sin. No witness has the assurance of salvation, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who belong to the Father through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 16 The full deity of Jesus Christ can only be revealed to them by the Holy Spirit, whom they relegate to commodity status, like electricity. To the witnesses, the Holy Spirit is a thing, not a person. Witnessing to the witnesses must be done in Christian love and with compassion. Remember, they have been deceived and believe a false gospel. Yet many have a genuine love for God and are utterly sincere in their beliefs. Do not be afraid of them, as we read in 1 John 4, verse 17 to 19. But let them know how much you care about their eternal salvation. Share your Christian testimony with them. Talk to them. Discuss spiritual matters with them, but do not allow them to conduct what they describe as a Bible study, which is actually a study of their literature. Be aware that they will not read any non-watchtower literature or attend a church service. They say that they will only accept what the Bible says, but their New World Translation has been altered to reflect their theology. And many verses in the New Testament that point to the full deity of Jesus Christ have been changed to support their view that only partial deity can be ascribed to him. It always comes as a surprise to them to meet people who love the Lord, display the fruit of the Spirit, and use the Bible as the basis for their faith. Go read Hebrews 4 verse 12. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 verse 15. Direct all your conversation to the person of Christ and the need to put total faith in what he has done. Do not allow them to lead you down the path they wish you to take, namely considering how you can survive Armageddon to live on a paradise earth. This is not the gospel. Above all else, pray for them. Now we're also going to take a look at um, if you are a Jehovah's Witness why you should consider becoming a Christian. Now, perhaps the most important commonality between evangelical Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses is our belief and trust in the Bible as the ultimate authority inspired by God on issues concerning God and His expectations for us. While we may understand things differently, Jehovah's Witnesses are to be highly commended for their dependence on and diligence in studying the Holy Scriptures to know God and His will. Like the Bereans, we would be wise to examine all things in life, in light of the Scriptures. To that end, we shall examine verses of the New World Translation, the version of the Bible published by their Watchtower Society, to clear up some common misunderstandings they hold. Now, um, Christians get their name from being followers and worshippers of Jesus Christ. First called Christians in Antioch during Paul's ministry. Go read Acts 11 verse 26. Paul repeatedly made it clear that to be a Christian was to be a witness to men concerning the person of Christ. To be a witness to the words and works of Christ. 
Jehovah's Witnesses, on the other hand, believe that we are to focus our worship exclusively on God the Father, who is referred to in some Bible translations as Jehovah. The name Jehovah, however, was a hybrid name created by Christians by adding vowels to the tetragrammaton, all in capital letters, Y-H-W-H, which was the original rendering of what we now know as Yahweh. Evangelical Christians understand Jesus to be God in all his fullness, equal in deity but different in function from God the Father. Christians acknowledge that one of the historic names of God the Father is Jehovah. However, there are many other names and titles that the scriptures use in reference to God the Father. Jehovah's Witnesses understand Jesus to be Michael the Archangel as we've discussed and categorically deny his deity. As we shall see, if we understand Jesus to be anything other than God, many verses present obvious contradictions. However, we know that God's word is inerrant and does not contradict itself. Therefore, we must understand the truth of God's word in a way that is consistent and faithful to his revelation. You will notice that these same verses lack any contradiction if we understand Jesus to be God the Son, the fullness of God in bodily form, who surrendered his rights to be the suffering servant and sacrifice for our sin. All verses are quoted directly from the Jehovah's Witnesses, the New World Translation. Now verses regarding God the Father. Please take a pen and pencil and write this down for further study later on. Isaiah 42 verse 8. I am Jehovah, that is my name, and to no one else shall I give my own glory, neither my praise to graven images. Isaiah 48 verse 11. And to no one else shall I give my own glory. Verses regarding Jesus. John 8 verse 5 of verse 54. Pardon me. It is my Father that glorifies me. He who you say is your God. John 16 verse 14. That one will glorify me. John 17 verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. John 17 verse 5. So now you, Father, glorify me alongside yourself with the glory that I had alongside you before the world was. Philippians 2 verse 10. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bend, and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the ground. Hebrews 5 verse 5. So too. The Christ did not glorify himself by becoming a high priest, but was glorified by him who spoke with reference to him. You are my son. I today, I have become your father. Now, scriptures regarding um, the Savior. Firstly, about the Father. Isaiah 43 verse 3. For I am Jehovah your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah 43 verse 11, I am Jehovah and besides me there is no Savior. Isaiah 45 verse 21, Is it not I, Jehovah besides whom there is no other God, a righteous God and a Savior, there being none excepting me? About Jesus, Luke 2 verse 11, 
Jesus the Savior, because there was born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Acts 13 verse 23 From the offspring of this man, according to his promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Then Titus 1 verse 4 May there be undeserved kindness and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Then whose name are we to have faith in? Said about Jesus or by Jesus. The following verses, John 14 verse 12. Most truly I say to you, he that exercises faith in me, that one also will do the works that I do. Acts 4 verse 12. Furthermore, there is no salvation in anyone else, for there is not another name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 26 verse 18 And inheritance among those sanctified by their faith in me. Revelation 2 verse 13 I know where you are dwelling, that is where the throne of Satan is, and yet you keep on holding fast my name, and you did not deny your faith in me. John 20 verse 28 In answer Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? John 20 verse 31 But these have been written down, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that because of believing you may have life by means of his name. Acts 2 verse 38 Peter said to them, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3 verse 23 Indeed, this is his commandment, that we have faith in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Creator, created or Creator Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jehovah created Jesus as an angel and that Jesus then created all other things. What do the scriptures say? Firstly, about the Father. Isaiah 66 verse 2 Now all these things my own hand has made, so that all these came to be. Isaiah 44 verse 24 I, Jehovah, am doing everything stretched out the heavens by myself. About Jesus. John 1 verse 3 all things came into existence through him, and apart from him not even one thing came into existence. If all things came into existence through Jesus, he could not have been created because he is included in the all things. Status, names and titles of Jesus and Jehovah. Isaiah 9 verse 6 For there has been a child born to us, there has been a son given to us, and the princely rule will come to be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Revelation 1 verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, says Jehovah God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 1 verse 17 to 18 I am the first and the last and the living one, and I became dead, but look, I'm living forever and ever, and I have the keys to death and of Hades. Revelation 2 verse 8 These are the things that he says, the first and the last, who became dead and came to life again. Revelation 22 verse 12 to 16 
Look, I'm coming quickly, and the reward I give is with me to render to each one as his work is. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, Jesus, sent my angel to bear witness to you people of these things for the congregations. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Revelation 21, verse 6 to 7. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone thirsting, I will give from the fountain of the water of life freely. Anyone conquering will inherit these things, and I shall be his God, and he will be my son. If Jehovah is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last Greek letters, then the first and the last must refer to Jehovah, so the witnesses claim. But when did Jehovah become dead? The only first and last who died and lived again is Jesus. Hebrews 1 verse 13 But with reverence to which one of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I place your enemies as a stool for your feet. Truth and Unity Jesus' substitutionary atonement was accepted for one reason. God accepts only his own righteousness. The righteousness of a man or an angel is insufficient to hold up to the holy and perfect standards of God's righteous law. Jesus was the only suitable sacrifice because he was the righteousness of God and as God's law required shed blood, Jesus took on flesh so that he might be a ransom for all who believed in his name. Notice that if we understand Jesus to be God incarnate, then all the above verses can be understood to be true and mutually consistent in their claims. They can also be understood clearly with plain reason, taken at face value. However, if we attempt to suggest that Jesus is something less than God, Michael the Archangel, then these verses are mutually exclusive and cannot both be true when taken in their natural context. Therefore, the truth of God's word necessitates that we must come to another understanding in which all scripture is unified, interconnected, interdependent, inerrant, and true. That unifying truth can be found only in the person and deity of Jesus Christ. May we see the truth revealed in scripture as it is, not as we would each have it to be, and may God receive all the glory. If you have any questions about Jesus as God incarnate, please ask us by sending an um, email to Faith Over Fear Ministries, and that is um, Faith Over Fear, just like you would type those words out, but M, not the full word ministry, just Faith Over Fear M at gmail.com, or send us a message on um, Facebook Messenger on our Facebook page, Faith Over Fear Ministries Original. If you are ready to place your trust in this God incarnate Jesus, you can speak the following words to God. Father God, I know that I am a sinner and am worthy of your wrath. I recognize and believe that Jesus is the only Savior and that only by being God could Jesus be the Savior. I place my trust in Jesus alone to save me. Father God, please forgive me, cleanse me and change me. 
Thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy. Amen. Welcome to today's episode of Wild Wednesday's Questions and Answers. I am Danelle and I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Now today we are also um, ending off season four. Can you believe it? Um, time has gone by so quickly. So this is episode 12 of season four. And today we're going to take a look at um, the question... Does the Bible teach that the earth is round or flat? Now, um, the Christian faith recognizes the Bible above all other sources of knowledge as the inspired word of God. Teaching that contradicts the Bible is false by definition. On the other hand, the Bible is not the sole source of knowledge in creation. For example, the Bible does not attempt to teach mathematics chemistry, biology, or many other areas of knowledge that are self-evidently true despite being absent in God's word. Therefore, we cannot become blind to obvious truths of nature, nor should we dismiss or ignore extra-biblical sources of truth so long as they do not contradict Scripture. In the case of the Earth's shape, Scripture never explicitly states that the shape of our planet nor does the Bible propose to teach the physical design of earth explicitly at any point, but it does confirm around earth implicitly in various places. For example, the creation account in Genesis 1 says that the earth began as water only, and water suspended in space always takes the form of a sphere due to the surface tensions of water molecules. Furthermore, when dry land appeared, Genesis 1 describes all the land as existing in one place. In Genesis 1 verse 9, while all waters are gathered likewise, geometrically this can only happen on a sphere and therefore Genesis 1 implies a round earth. Nevertheless, the Bible is not our only or even our best source of information on the shape of the planet. Science long ago confirmed the spherical shape of the earth. As early as the 6th century BC, men had mathematically proofs demonstrating the earth is spherical in shape. In the following centuries, many scientists have devised simple experiments validating the earth is a sphere, and more recently high-altitude aircraft, satellites orbiting our planet, and manned space travel have confirmed those earlier findings. Even our own observations from the ground confirm the earth to be a sphere. When standing on the shore looking out on the horizon, the curvature of the earth cuts off the bottom of ships in the distance. 
Now let's take a look at some of the scriptures the flat earthers use to um, state their view. Okay, so Revelation 7 verse 1 says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. In writing this, the Apostle John was using idiomatic language, the four corners of the earth. This refers to every distant location. We use the same idiom today. For example, when we speak of Olympic athletes coming from the four corners of the earth to compete in the games, we mean they are coming from all over the world. The book of Revelation is full of non-literal descriptions and symbolic language. To press Revelation 7 verse 1 into a hyper-literal interpretation makes no sense. John simply says that at one point during the tribulation, God will cause all wind to stop blowing. The four corners encompass the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west. All wind will cease at God's command. Psalm 75 verse 3 quotes God saying, When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. Other passages also refer to the earth's pillars, such as 1 Samuel 2 verse 8, but in no case should the language be taken literally. The book of Psalms and Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2 are poetry. The writers liken the founding of the earth to be constructing of a house, and their descriptions are comparative, for example, metaphorical, not literal. The point is not that the earth is flat, but that the earth belongs to God. It is His construction and He guarantees its stability. God's pillars will not move and His roof will not cave in. Even when the moral order of the world seems to have crumbled and people are overcome with fear, God will not fully withdraw His sustaining power. But what about the um, Bible's reference to the ends of the earth in Deuteronomy 13 verse 7, Job 28 verse 24, Psalm 48 verse 10, Proverbs 30 verse 4 and other passages. Thus a reference to the ends of the earth teach that the earth has an edge and it is therefore flat. We'll take Deuteronomy 13 verse 7 as representative of all the passages. Here Moses warns the people of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other. A couple of things can be said about the phrase the ends of the earth to show that it does not refer to a flat earth. First, let's phrase like the four corners of the earth. This is idiomatic. We don't expect people to take us literally, literally when we speak of going back to the drawing board. Neither should we force a literal interpretation on the ends of the earth. When biblical writers speak of the end of the earth 28 times in the King James Version, they simply are referring to the farthest reaches of the inhabitant world. Second, the phrase the end of the earth at times refers to people, not to land. For example, Psalm 67 verse 7 says, My God, bless us still, so that the, all the ends of the earth 
will fear him. In this verse, the ends of the earth references the people who inhabit remote and distant places. See also Psalm 98 verse 3 and Isaiah 45 verse 22. Obviously, in this context, the phrase is metaphorical and cannot be used to depict the earth as having a physical edge. The same phrase used elsewhere should also be considered figurative. The Bible does not teach that the earth is flat. The reference to the earth in the Bible are often not references to planetary earth, but to a portion of dry land bound by water. For example, again, Genesis 1 verse 10 says, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. Earth is mentioned as distinct from seas and cannot refer to earth as a planet. The same Hebrew word for earth is used in Deuteronomy 13 verse 7 and the other passages listed above. While the Bible does not teach that the earth is flat, neither does the Bible explicitly teach that the earth is spherical. Some passages do allow for a spherical earth, such as Job 26 verse 7, where it says he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. And Isaiah 40 verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heaven like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. In any event, the Bible is far from affirming or naive or unscientific understanding of the earth and the solar system. There is simply no basis for the charge that the Bible teaches a flat earth. Passages that seem to present a flat earth can all be explained when correctly understood. Simply put, Men have known the earth was round for centuries, and the Bible confirms this truth implicitly. Unfortunately, some Christians have become victims of false teachings and conspiracy theories that misinterpret various scriptures to support bizarre conclusions. The claim of, of a flat earth is one such false teaching. Moreover, we caution every Christian against becoming deceived by false teachings that oppose plain truths and promote novel and sensationalistic myths. Paul says such interests would be evidence of the end times when believers are swept away by false teachings. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound, sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. 2 Timothy 4 verse 4 And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. 1 Timothy 6 verse 20 O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. 1 Timothy 6 verse 21 Which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. The popularity of flat earth teaching among a few deceived believers in is indicative of the enemy's efforts to distract believers from kingdom work with empty chatters to so-called knowledge. 
which are actually sensationalistic myth. Paul says learning sound doctrine requires endurance, but some would prefer to have their ears tickled. The enemy uses attractive myths like a flat earth to distract believers from the truly important matters of scripture. Therefore, we exhort believers to set aside these matters entirely. Do not waste time in endless and unprofitable arguments on one side or the other of these myths. Return to scripture seeking a meaningful understanding of Christ and your walk with him that will profit you into eternity. I hope you enjoyed um, this last episode and make sure that you aren't one of those who are drawn into um, false doctrine and only listen to things that tickles your ears. Until we meet again in season five, Shalom.